Razorbacks fans, welcome to the Hogbeat Hour. I'm Nikki Chavanel here with Andrew Hutchinson from Hogbeat.com, the Arkansas site and the Rivals Network. It is Thursday, April 6th. The Razorbacks are at home this weekend versus Georgia. They're still number one, so a lot of excitement here in Fayetteville this weekend as the Razorbacks continue to just chug along, keep doing their thing. Uh, Kevin Copps had a big award announced this week and so did christian franklin so we'll get into all that first i want to shout out our baseball sponsor for this entire season cj's butcher boy burgers they have locations in fayetteville and in russellville and uh, you can get a burger fries a shake i think they have salads as well it's just delicious and they support us so go and get some really good food from a local favorite uh, also at Hogby right now, it's our summer sale. So you can get three months of premium Hogbeat coverage for just $5. That's, that's 16%. I did the math. I'm not great at math, but I was able to do it. It's 16% of what you would normally pay uh, to get these three months of coverage. That includes baseball, football. Obviously, there's still lots of basketball news going on. And then recruiting uh, Official visits start next month. You're going to want to read those official visit recaps. I can promise you that. So use code HB345 in the numerals and uh, get three months of coverage for just five bucks on Hogbeat. Hutch, uh, big, big series coming up this weekend. The Razorbacks, I mean, by my memory, they haven't, won they haven't lost a single full series to this point, right? That's correct. I mean, they have won every single series. You know, if you include the uh, season opening weekend where they played three different teams, you know, they swept that. Uh, and then they've won every other series. I mean, every SEC series. Now they've only pulled off one sweep in SEC play, uh, or otherwise their record would look even better. Uh, but they have won two out of three in every other one. And that's, that includes, you know, they swept at Miss, Mississippi State. They've won two of three at uh, Ole Miss at Louisiana Tech in non-conference play, at South Carolina. These are all top 25, top 20 teams. And uh, they have, I think it's the first time ever that they've won their first seven uh, SEC series. It's also the first time they've ever uh, won a series against all of its uh, division foes, all the SEC West teams, because the only teams they have left now are, are Georgia, Tennessee, and Florida from the East. Uh, so really, truly, a, a historic season, even with three weeks left in the regular season. Later in the show, we will have UJA insider, uh, baseball beat reporter, Anthony Dasher, to give you guys the inside scoop on these Georgia Bulldogs. But Hutch, you posted on Hogbeat earlier today, a little piece of breaking news that Dasher gave you. Uh, they're tweaking their rotation this weekend. And uh, I think you have a pretty good theory as to why that is. <laughs> Yeah, what uh, George is going to say is that Ryan Webb, their left-handed ace, uh, their Friday night guy who's been pretty good for them and pretty consistent, uh, easily their best pitcher, uh, he is going to be pitching game three. And, and Georgia will tell you it's because they're giving him a couple extra days of rest because he actually had to leave his last start against Auburn a little bit early uh, because of some back soreness or a little, he tweaked his back or something like that. Uh, which you, know, you can't ever be too careful when it comes to injuries, especially with pitchers and you know, back injury. It's kind of concerning for a pitcher. Uh, but I was also told that if, you know, say this was a 
you know, NCAA regional win or go home game, he could totally pitch. Um, so in my opinion, what they're doing is they are moving him to game three in order to give them a very good chance to win at least one game against Arkansas. I think they realize that the way Patrick Whiplander and Kevin Copps are pitching right now, uh, you're probably not going to beat Arkansas in game one, even if you have a guy that maybe only gives up a couple of runs, you may just lose two to nothing, you know. Uh, so I think they may be kind of conceding game one a little bit. Uh, game two, I think they feel, you know, somewhat decent about it. They've got a game two starter who's been kind of up and down. He's been okay. Uh, it's a sophomore right-hander. Uh, and uh, he's still going game two, and they're moving Webb to game three, where who the heck knows who's going to pitch for Arkansas in that game. They've really struggled on the mound. Uh, you know, last week, Lyle Lockhart didn't even get out of the first inning. Uh, weeks before that, uh, he's struggled, and so it's been a little bit of a, a roller coaster there, uh, and so they think maybe if they, if they can hold Arkansas to a couple of runs that game, then maybe they could, you know, scratch across five or six themselves, and and find a way to win a game and avoid a sweep. Have most of the losses at this point been in, in that third game for Arkansas? I don't, I don't think so. I'm trying to remember. Obviously, against LSU, it was. Uh, against Texas A&M, it was. Um, you know, against Alabama, they lost the first game of the series. Uh, they uh, split the doubleheader against South Carolina and had to win a rubber match. Uh, so, I mean, it's, it's been – which it's not always been game three. However, game three has always been a little bit more of a interesting uh, game on the mound for Arkansas, even if Arkansas found a way to win, because they do have a really, really good lineup that helps them win those type of games. I saw our buddy Chris Lee had Kevin Copps and Patrick Wicklander in his list of the top uh, pitchers all around the SEC right now. That's not a surprise. Uh, Kevin Copps was named the National Pitcher of the Month of April. I think it was D1 Baseball that gave him that award. Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, I can't remember if it was D1 Baseball or if it was – no, I think it was the uh, NCBWA, the National Collegiate Baseball Writers Association. I'm Even pretty better. sure. <laughs> Even better. So he got a big award, and then Christian Franklin got the uh, Player of the Week in the SEC. So – very nice. With no co. Yeah, with no co. No co, co for yeah. Christian Franklin. He was the sole player of the week for SEC. That's breaking news. Uh, where, where are the holes, do you think, right now for Arkansas? Or are, 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 is everyone doing pretty solidly? Well, that game three starter is the obvious one mm -hmm. because they, they just don't have one right now. And, and David Horn, he he'd, uh, met with the Swatters Club on Monday of this week and uh, kind of tease that uh, a potential new game three starter in freshman Jackson Wiggins, which I think is really exciting because this is a kid that really, really talented. It was a, a, a highly regarded recruit, uh, probably could have been drafted and gone pro like in a normal year. Uh, and, but he came to Arkansas and he, he's big. I think he's six, six. I mean, he was a guy that's stupid athletic. I mean, if you have never seen his highlights playing basketball, look him up. I mean, he's dunking on dudes. He's blocking shots into the fourth row. I mean, it's, it's impressive stuff. And out there on the mound, he's kind of an imposing figure. Uh, the biggest key with him is throwing the ball over the plate. If he throws his stuff for strikes, he is virtually unhittable um, and has the potential to be a bonafide, ace in the SEC uh, for the, in the next couple of years. 
Uh, now this year, he's still a freshman. He's had some up and down, ups and downs. He started off the year with, I want to say, three straight perfect innings and three outings. He struck out the first three guys he faced against TCU in his, his debut. Uh, so it's really hard to kind of live up to that standard. Uh, but he did struggle, I want to say, in the uh, game three against Ole Miss. He gave up quite a few runs in like two-thirds of an inning. That's kind of ballooned his ERA above five. Uh, but other than that, take that out. He has been really solid for Arkansas. We just haven't seen him the last couple of weekends. They haven't needed him because Kevin Copps has been just on another planet. Uh, but if, if they can extend him and get some quality innings from him as a starter in game three, then uh, that <laughs> Arkansas fans should feel really, really good about where, they are, where they're at entering the postseason. Yeah, with, you know, three weeks straight of the unanimous number one pick in your composite poll. Um, let's not let's not take these Razorbacks for granted, right? There's only a few more regular season series left. Uh, it's it's a little hard to tell. I mean, we can tell from the trough that there's a lot of enthusiasm, but it's just not quite the same because you don't see that fully packed Baumwalker Stadium. Yeah, it's really unfortunate. I mean, we talked about this during basketball season, too, that it's really a shame that Arkansas's best season in 25 years, they weren't able to have a packed Bud Walton Arena because it would have been nuts. And, you know, we've, we've been blessed with that at Baum Walker Stadium for the last several years because they've been so good. And so not getting that this year when they're arguably the best they've ever been, you know, number one in at least one poll, like every week pretty much this year, uh, it's disappointing. You know, it's, it's always cool. I love – driving up to the stadium an hour before first pitch and like seeing people lined up outside the hog pen, seeing people tailgating and haven't really gotten to experience that this year. And that's, that's really disappointing. Uh, but, you know, I know they're, they are increasing the capacity to like, I want to say like 67% or something like that. Uh, it'll be back down to 50% for postseason play because the NCAA uh, feels like it needs it, they find it necessary to regulate all schools that they have to be capped at 50%. I don't quite understand that, but whatever. I suppose it's a fairness thing, but 50% isn't the same at every venue anyway. So it's like, I don't know. There's still going to be varying levels of antagonistic fans and volume and stuff like that. And if you think about it, so much can be improved in another month. Like the way things are moving right now, it just feels like it's going to be a wasted opportunity. But, you know, the NCAA has continually stuck to the side <laughs> of caution and not making particularly big wave decisions. So, uh, or smart decisions. That's another way to put it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I put it the nice way. Anthony, thanks for taking time to talk to us. How are you? Hey, my pleasure. Doing well. Well, first off, I was wondering if you could kind of give us a broad, you know, 10,000 feet view of what Georgia's <laughs> season has been like. I mean, they cracked the top 25 last week mm -hmm. and then had the disappointing weekend against Auburn. Yeah, and, you know, it's, uh, it's in a lot of ways, it's been a year of rebuilding. You know, last uh, year, uh, of course, no COVID killed everybody, but but Georgia in particular was a uh, you know, they, they had uh, Emerson Hancock, they had Cole Wilcox, you know, two of your better starters in the league. Those guys are gone. And this year's been pretty much a rebuilding season in a lot of respects. Uh, you know, they're starting three freshman position players, half for most of the year. 
uh, starting pitching has been, you know, you know, other than Ryan Webb has been pretty inconsistent in the bullpen. They've, they've had to throw a eight true freshmen this year. So, you know, as you well know, in this league, you throw true freshmen, you're going to have some good moments. You also have some bad moments. So it's just been a matter of consistency for this team. Now, when they play well, they play really, you know, really good. I mean, they went to, Van, went to Vanderbilt and won two or three. I mean, beat handed Kumar Rocker, his only loss of the year. Uh, so they, it's a team that has potential. It, 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 it's a gritty team. Uh, you know, I don't believe they're going to, you know, it's intimidating. It is going to Arkansas and play. I don't think that's going to bother them all that much. That's uh, a team that really kind of takes out the coach. Uh, Strickland's uh, just kind of the way he is. He's a real kind of a gritty type coach. And they play the same uh, same type of way. But but overall, you know, you know, you mentioned last weekend they had gotten to finally got to 500 in the SEC playoffs for starting year three and six. They lose two or three to Auburn. Now they're kind of, you know, kind of back where they started a little bit. One game under 500, and now have a have the challenge of going to Arkansas, going to Florida next week before closing out the season against Ole Miss. So it's a that's a tough little three weeks the Bulldogs have in front of them. And you mentioned that that Vanderbilt series. I think that kind of caught everybody's attention and yeah. caught everybody a little bit by surprise. And they they lost their first three series of the season, including one of them to A&M, which is yeah. really struggling this year. Yeah. Uh, did, did that Vandy series kind of help turn things around? I mean, it looks like oh, they no won doubt. three straight. I mean, wh- wh- what did that kind of do for them? Oh, no doubt. And then I'll, I'll even go back a few days before that. On the Tuesday before, they lost to Georgia Southern, you know, the, one of their in-state uh, rivals. And, and they were just uh, play terrible. I mean, they really honestly did. Uh, and uh, – Players were down, uh, you know, but Coach Strickland took that as a moment to kind of challenge a manhead a little bit. And, and they went to Nashville again with a prospect of facing Kumar Rocker and Jack Leiter in back-to-back games uh, coming off as poorly as they played and, and, and really did, you know, really did well. And yeah, yeah, so it was a turning point. I mean, it, they, they, they fought Vanderbilt, uh, you know, that fat, on that Thursday game against Rocker. And against uh, uh, Jack Leiter, uh, Ryan Webb went, went toe-to-toe. Uh, it was a zero-zero game to the eighth inning. You know, Vanderbilt ultimately won that game, but but Ryan Webb, uh, who's going to get to start Friday, was uh, was incredible. I mean, gave up only like three or four hits, struck out like twelve or thirteen batters, and uh, was really dominant. So uh, I mean, they said, so uh, yeah, I mean, it, it did t- it did turn their season around, and uh, and now they've got to see though if they can kind of you know from the disappointment this past week if they can kind of flip it back a little bit more, at least get one win against Arkansas. But that's not going to be easy, you know, in itself. And you mentioned earlier, you know, about losing Emerson Hancock, Cole Wilcox last year to the draft. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, looking at the stats, I mean, it looks like Ryan Webb has been pretty good this year, and it mm-hmm. feels like he's been there forever. Yeah. Uh, what, what kind of season is he having, and what's kind of the scouting report on him? <sighs> Ryan, Ryan is a, used to be the closer, you know, in uh, 2019 when, you know, when Georgia, you know, earned the uh, national suit, he was a closer, had like had nine, nine saves that year, but then they, they converted him uh, to, to a starter. And uh, this year has uh, been pretty, pretty good. I mean, uh, he uh, pitched, uh, I mean, he pitched great against, against Auburn and got Georgia's only win uh, the other day. The thing with Ryan Webb, uh, you know, for those who don't know, he's a lefty. He'll 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 top out at about 95 miles per hour, so he's got good velocity. Uh, sometimes he can have trouble spotting the fastball, and uh, that's something you'll be able to see, I think, early on. Uh, you know, Friday, uh, if he's on with a fastball and put it where he wants it, then uh, yeah, I think he can get Arkansas a tough you know a, a tough time. They'll make it they'll make it hard for him, but because uh, uh, he has a very good changeup, very good slider, uh, mixes his pitches well, and he'll get a ton of strikeouts. He's averaging. Well over, uh, you know, a strikeout per inning, and and, and teams uh, can have trouble, you know, barreling him up. So, uh, 
if he's on, he's going to give Arkansas a, a tough time. Uh, but, uh, you know, after that, I like it gets a little dicey for Georgia. But Ryan Webb, though, uh, has potential. The pitch as well as really as anybody in the league. And we've seen that, like I said, because he did match Jack Leiter pitch for pitch, strikeout for strikeout when they played up in Nashville a month ago. Yeah, and, and behind him is kind of where I was going to ask you about next. Mm-hmm. I mean, it looks like Jonathan Cannon has been kind of the game two guy. Uh, but I noticed the last few weeks it's been a uh, good old TBA for game three. Yeah. Uh, what's it look like behind Webb? Well, I'll start with Cannon, who uh, who had potential. I mean, again, he pitched very well. He won, he, he uh, you know, uh, won uh, the Sun, the Sun. I'm sorry, the, the Saturday game, the final game against Vanderbilt. Uh, he's a guy who early in the year was projected to be a first round draft pick. He's got great stuff. He'll he'll hit 95, 96. But again, consistency with a breaking ball has been a problem for him. And uh, teams have uh, have had some success over the past uh, two weeks. Uh, uh, he'll get the start on, on Saturday, but uh, that Sunday TBA, that's that's really kind of a problem for Georgia. This is with a lot of teams in the league right now. I uh, just can't really seem to settle on that third starter for Georgia. It's been true freshman Luke Wagner, but Luke has been, you know, really been very ineffective uh, over the past uh, couple of weeks. He's a left-hander. He was he was their top uh, signee from Pennsylvania, top signee they had, uh, you know, this past year. Those those in the low 90s, three-pitch pitcher. You know, he he's he, he pitched well against Texas A&M. He pitched well in some other games, but just again, the last three or four weeks is not. It seems like the league has caught up with him a little bit. Has not been as effective, but they do now. They have a couple of pitchers that are uh, behind him that are, I, I, or I think, are pretty good. Jaden Woods, who's another left-hander, you'll you'll see him in Georgia rotation in next year. Uh, he's a uh, he's uh, what do you say, six-two, about 195 pounds, and actually has the best spin rate of any pitcher on the Bulldog team. Uh, he's, a, he's a guy, what they like to do, they like in that perfect world for Coach Strickland, they'll let, let Luke Wagner, you know, go three or four innings, and they'll bring in Jaden Webb, who will pitch the next three or four. Again, he's been very effective doing that. He's got a couple of wins. Uh, he'll strike out a lot of batters. Uh, you know, kind of ran out of gas this past week against Auburn. Again, he's a guy they really depend on a lot. And uh, left-handed Ben Harris is another guy, former Virginia player, uh, uh, transfer, had to set out last year with the transfer rules. Uh He's a uh, you know got ERA under two, strikes out a lot of batters. He's gonna probably be the one of the 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 key guys out of the pen. It's just a question on what they, you know, they use. You know, if Georgia happens to have a lead by whatever stretch of the imagination, he'll be probably the first guy you know out of the pen to to try to hold that down. But otherwise, it's been it's been very, very spotty. We have again having to pitch eight freshmen this year. A lot of these those guys coming out of the pen just made for some. You really don't know what you're going to get sometimes. And that leads into the next thing is that you know. A one-run lead, late innings. You know, Arkansas has a guy like Kevin Copps. I mean, yeah. who, who who is Georgia's guy? Who is who are they going to turn to in that situation? Well, it's going to be it would be Ben Harris. I think again, Ben is uh he he pitched great at Vanderbilt. He got some key outs uh, with runners in scoring position and no and I think nobody got out of a, a huge jam up there. And uh, again, has been the most consistent of all the relievers. Uh, you know, by far, Jaden Woods again. He'll be like a a guy they'll they'll put in. They they want him they want him to go that three or four innings. Otherwise. You know, they brought in Nolan Chris from Florida. It was Florida's closure a couple of years ago, but Nolan just hasn't been as, as effective. I mean, they, they hoped he would be a right-hander, a real you know, gritty-type type pitcher. I've been using that word a lot for, for to describe George, but uh, he hasn't, you know, been maybe as consistent as they would have liked him to be. So, again, the bullpen it has been an issue for Georgia, especially these last three or four weeks, uh, even though Georgia, up until last week, had won three straight conference series. Uh, that's just an area right now that Coach Strickland really kind of, crosses his fingers in every sense somebody out on the mound 
and then turning the page to the, the Bulldogs lineup, uh, it looks like Josh McAllister and Connor Tate are kind of the top guys. They're both hitting over 350. They've got mm-hmm. eight and 10 home runs. What can you tell us about those two guys specifically? What have they done this year? Yeah, Con- Connor Tate's a guy. He's a kind of made himself into a very good SEC player. You know, you look at Georgia's lineup, and there's probably not a guy, probably a lot of your fans, probably not even heard of, heard of. But you look at Connor Tate, and what he has done as a cleanup hitter, um again he's a guy when he got to georgia you know i I figured he would be a he he might be a spot starter at best but he's developed into a very solid right fielder georgia's most dependable hitter as you mentioned he's got nine home runs right now i believe eight of them have been in have been in conference play so he's uh somebody who's uh really 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 kind of taken off this year for him you mentioned josh McAllister, a guy who uh uh, they call him the Juco Bandit. Uh, I think I know there's a lot of players out there. There's a guy that maybe have that same nickname. But anyway, he's a guy at second base who uh, has a lot of pop. Uh, he's been battling, uh, you know, uh, a hamstring issue. There's been a couple of occasions this year where he's had to miss some games. I actually just got back for the most recent one um, this uh, this uh, past Saturday against Auburn and, 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 and hit a home run his first game back. So he's a guy who will hit at the top of the order. He's, uh, he's got some very good pop, good defensive player. They've got some other guys, you know, other guys too. Garrett Blaylock is a guy who hit uh, three home runs in the Vanderbilt series. Uh, um, kind of struggles from time to time with the breaking pitch. Uh, same deal can be said for uh, you know uh, the freshman uh, designated hitter Corey Collins, who's a who's a big big kid. He's like six three, two hundred forty pounds. He's just your uh, prototypical left-handed slugger type. But again, uh, he's uh, SEC pitchers are, are figuring out now that he's a little having a little bit of trouble with that outside breaking ball. So he's been. Uh, been scuffing with that, and, they, and Parks Harbor is another another true freshman, uh, uh, 6'3", 250 pounds. Looks a lot like uh, like a uh, like a uh, Bryant for the Cubs, uh, third baseman, built about built about that same way. He's going to be a very good player moving forward. But again, it's just a it's a young team in, in certain positions. Riley King's a veteran, the left fielder, hitting over 300. Cole Tate, Connor's a uh, twin brother, is uh, you know took over for a Cam Shepard who started like 197 straight games. Every game he played. <laughs> of his Georgia career. So it seems kind of strange to have him out there, but he, he's done well. But uh, you know, overall, this, uh, it's been a been a inconsistent offensive team, I guess. But they do have potential. I mean, it's, it's, it's a team that if it does get rolling, it can have some, can have some success. Yeah, I was going to ask kind of more broadly that offense, are, do, when when things are going well for them, I mean, what, what are they doing? Are, are they a team that likes to work the count and, and draw walks? Or are they more no. of a power? Or what, what's their what's – Well, their they – they they don't really like to draw draw walks, man. They 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 see a pitch they want to hit, they're going they're going to be swinging. I mean that's just the way uh, it is. Sometimes a little a little too impatient for Coach Strickland's uh, I think desires, but uh, that's what he tells. No seriously, that's what he tells them. If there's a good pitch to hit, the pitchers are so good in this league. If they if they give you something to hit, go ahead and swing. Go ahead and take your go ahead and take your take your shot. So uh, you know that's that's uh, kind of how they approach. They will they will bunt, try to move runners along. Uh, they will play they try to play fundamental. They'll shift a lot, man. They are really into the analytics at Georgia. They are they're big on the track, man, and all that kind of stuff. And, they, and you'll you'll see. I'm 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 sure they'll do a lot of shifting uh, in this game uh, with Arkansas. Well, I think that's all I got for you, Anthony. And mm-hmm. and before I sign off, I just want to remind everybody that uh, as always, all of our uh, baseball coverage this year is brought to you by CJ's Butcher Boy Burgers. Go check them out in Russellville or Fayetteville. It's a great spot to to grab a bite to eat before or after games or just if you want to grab lunch or dinner someday. So go check them out. They're great sponsors to us at Hogbeat. And just a reminder, this series this weekend, Georgia starts on Friday at 6.30 Central. Then Saturday and Sunday's games are at 6 and 2. That Saturday game 
you can actually catch that one on on tv sec network so uh go check them out if you can't make it into Baumwalker stadium uh, anthony i appreciate you taking the time to talk to no me problem. and hopefully we can catch up soon we'll do it take care andrew see you all right that was awesome thank you hutch for bringing us that exclusive little interview with anthony dasher um What's your prediction for this weekend, knowing everything that you know about these two teams right now? Well, I think most fans in, in Arkansas would probably like to see a sweep uh, this week. We haven't seen very many. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, only Mississippi State on the road. Uh, usually Arkansas fans are used to, to total domination at Baumwalker Stadium, and we haven't quite seen that this year, uh, which is crazy to say. Uh, but the way Georgia has adjusted its rotation, like I was saying, that's going to make it tough. I still think Arkansas can win two out of three, and I think they're going to have maybe a shot at uh, pulling off a sweep. Uh, but I've, I'm always very hesitant to predict those. So, and plus, Georgia's a pretty good team. Remember, they, they won two out of three against Vanderbilt. So uh, I'm, I'm going to take Arkansas winning two of three. Uh, but you, you got to watch out. You can't, can't sleep on them because they are talented enough to knock you off. Uh, we're going to have some big news, I think, this weekend. So you're going to want to see that breaking news. And uh, this week we've covered quite a bit of that, um, starting with uh, the new addition of Missouri defensive end Trey Williams. Uh, he was uh, one of Barry Odom's players. Uh, and then he was playing this season and opted out with a couple games to go. Uh, announced a transfer to Houston and then I guess that just didn't stick and now he is coming to Arkansas I know he was on your radar uh, initially when he entered the transfer portal but after deciding to go to Houston I'm sure he kind of faded away yeah I mean I totally stopped paying attention to him and I'd completely forgotten about him and then he randomly committed to Arkansas I'm like wow uh, what happened there because you're right he was uh, one of the guys that uh, in the rivals did a little story like, you know, the top defensive linemen or top defensive ends available in the portal. And I was looking over the names and I saw him and I was like, man, got the connection to Barry Odom. He was, a, I think, a former four-star recruit. He had been productive in his time. And I'm like, that fits the profile of what Arkansas is looking for. Uh, and so I was like, that, that, would, that would make a ton of sense. And then it just never happened. And then, bam, I mean, just – I, I don't know about you, but I was just kind of hanging out. And then I saw your message like, hey, this happened. I'm like, what? what? Well, where, where, where did this come from? You know, I should have seen it coming because earlier in the day, the Arkansas um, recruiting like Twitter account, they retweeted his uh, Missouri commitment from when he was in high school. And I was just like, who is this kid? And I feel like almost they were trying to tip people off that we needed to like look into this kid, like without telling us, <laughs> but I don't know. I, I just, I thought maybe it was like a fumble or like they just hit the wrong button or something. I didn't pay much attention to it. And then later I saw that and I was like, Oh my gosh, why didn't I see that? It was so obvious. <laughs> uh, but I mean, he was a fifth year senior. Um, he did opt out. I don't know why. I'm sure if he was a Razorback, it would be like, you know, the Rakeem Boyd situation where you're just like, just finish or whatever. I'm sure that's how Missouri fans felt. Um, and he was a starter. He had five tackles against Arkansas in, in that game. That was the last one that he played in this past season. 
Um, but from what I have heard from our friends over at Power Mizzou, he was just like a guy that never could consistently bring it. Um, and maybe Barry Odom with his last year, um, he can bring that out of him. Um, and Arkansas could certainly use that. Yeah, I mean, they, they need to help rush in the passer. I think that was an obvious thing that the coaches have never really been secretive about. I mean, Sam Pittman has said over and over again that, that we need somebody who can rush the passer. Uh, and so, and, and the way the, the Missouri, the Power Mizzou guys have kind of described him and how he's been kind of inconsistent with flashes and stuff, it kind of reminds me of a Randy Ramsey. That's a name, I don't know if you'll remember yes. or not, I think first yes. year of, of Chad Morris. And he was a guy that I always was just really impressed with in, in spring ball and fall camp. And like, you know, it takes a lot for me to really kind of be like, okay, this guy's really standing out uh, in practice. And it just never really translated. And then all of a sudden now he's on a 56 man roster with the Packers and, and actually playing now, sp not very much, but he's still playing in the NFL. And you wonder if that could be a guy like Trey Williams, like, is he going to be a guy that, puts it all together in a sixth season of college ball uh, and, and be a, a significant contributor for Arkansas. They, should, they could certainly use it. And then the other thing I was going to mention, too, that it kind of dawned on me, you know, his last game at Missouri, he was honored on senior day against Arkansas. And now he's going to be honored on senior day for Arkansas against Missouri this year. So uh, the double dip Arkansas-Missouri uh, battle line rivalry, whatever they call it, uh, for, for Trey Williams, that's, that's pretty funny. It definitely did just get a little more interesting because he's not the first. He's now the second uh, Missouri transfer following Markel Utzi, who is the defensive tackle that opted to commit to Arkansas like just last week. Um, and that gives them three additions to the defensive line uh, with the Illinois State defensive tackle, um, John Ridgeway. So they said exactly what they wanted to go get. And they found it. And uh, no, it's not Big Cat Bryant, a guy with like crazy good stats from a really good program, but it's three guys who I definitely think can contribute. And uh, I think that's even better than the transfers that they brought in last year, minus Felipe Franks. Yeah, I mean, Felipe Franks is kind of in a category of his own, uh, which, by the way, I don't think we've talked since – the NFL draft I was very surprised that he didn't get drafted that was very surprising um, but you know the other guys they brought in if you think about it that class of transfers I mean you had AJ Reed a kicker who was kind of inconsistent you had Jerry Jacobs who started and then opted out slash quit however you want to view that um, you had Levi Draper who's still on the team and could eventually pan out but he was hurt all last year and who knows if he's going to be healthy enough to play and, and live up to his four-star rating um, who else was in that? I mean, there was a bunch of transfers. Yeah, well, you had Jaqueline Crawford, but he hasn't played yet because uh, he couldn't. Um, I don't think there were many more. But, yeah, there were more gambles, like Xavier Kelly. You thought, That's well, you know, he's at, he's at Clemson. Maybe he could contribute here at Arkansas, but it just – he was, you know, a nice backup to have for depth, but nothing, you know, to write home about. So – he did get picked up by the Baltimore Ravens, though. Uh, you mentioned Felipe Franks. I think there's actually to it that some guys would prefer not to get taken um, at the very end of the draft um, and instead sign 
an undrafted free agent contract because they might get more money. For some reason, I feel like I've heard that. Is that something? Well, that and you can also pick where you land. I mean, if you don't want to play True. for, you know, the whoever, the Cleveland Browns or something, then you could say, okay, no, don't draft me. I don't want to get drafted and say, okay, I want to sign with the Tampa Bay Bucks or whatever. So I think that, that, I mean, I didn't even think about that until you just mentioned it, but that's a good point. That, that might have happened with Felipe. Cause I think everyone, I mean, I saw national draft experts saying they were surprised that he wasn't drafted. So it's not just us Arkansas media looking at it through our rose colored glasses. It seems to be a legitimate surprise to, to everybody. Yeah, but Atlanta seems like a good spot for him, and it's not too far from home either. So he'll he'll have an opportunity to grow there for sure. Uh, not going to, you know, probably challenge for any starting reps, but uh, definitely a worthwhile pickup for them. Yeah, I don't think he's going to be beating out Matt Ryan any day soon. So uh, we'll, we'll see how that pl- plays out. You know, maybe he's a practice squad guy. I mean, we saw, uh, you know, Brandon Allen – he got drafted. I think he was a sixth round pick. He spent some time on a practice squad, you know, ended up getting added to the 53 man roster, but he was like the third quarterback on the roster. So he was never active. He was basically just like an emergency quarterback. And then eventually after some time passed, he got an opportunity to start because of some injuries and he's kind of made a career out of being a backup. And that's not a bad career to have. Um, Jerry Jacobs and, uh, both him and Rakeem Boyd ended up in Detroit. Um, I guess they like players that opt out. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, Jonathan Marshall, I can't remember off the top of my head what number pick he was, but he was in the sixth round uh, to the Jets. It's going to be an interesting transition for him from uh, Arkansas, Texas, country boy to New Jersey. Yeah, he's not. He's kind of a quiet guy, and he he admits that. I mean, I remember talking to him after pro day, and he was like, "Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm quite, kind of quiet. I just kind of say what I need to say and whatever." And throwing him in the Big Apple in a spotlight like that—that that could be interesting. But I think that was a very solid pickup for the Jets. I mean, getting him in the sixth round—I really honestly thought he was a fourth round value kind of a guy, not just because he was so productive at Arkansas but also he put up incredible numbers at pro day. You would have thought that that would have helped him get picked before the sixth round. So I was very surprised he fell to when he did and props to the jets for picking him up. Um, Before we move on to basketball, because there is a lot to talk about from this week, um, the Razorbacks are on commitment alert. Uh, Joe T Robinson, offensive tackle, Imarion Harris. He's a Razorback legacy. He will be announcing on Sunday at 2 p.m., he's got Arkansas, Florida, Georgia, a lot of schools. But uh, being a Razorback legacy, uh, given how hard the staff has recruited him and how hard the other commits uh, have recruited him, I feel like the Razorbacks are going to get a nice Mother's Day surprise from that big boy. He's uh, 6'7", over 330 pounds. So, uh, not going to have to worry about size uh, for him uh, with Sam Pittman. Um, and that's that's potentially three offensive linemen already for this class. So uh, Pittman and Brad Davis are doing pretty good work. Uh, some other groups still have to catch up. But uh, you, can, you can keep track of all that on Hogbeat. Go to the uh, big board. I've got notebooks up. And uh, you can always ask me questions anytime. That's 
one of the best parts of the subscription. Uh, use code HB345 for three months uh, for just $5. Hutch, we have just had a crazy offseason already with three transfers in. You had Moses Moody declare. You had all the seniors leave. It's already been a packed uh, few months, I guess, now uh, of basketball offseason news. And now we have more this week with the addition of Gus Arginal, the uh, former Cal State Fullerton coach, former Nevada coach. Uh, he is joining the staff to replace Corey Williams, who left for Texas Tech. And then shortly after that broke, uh, David Patrick, the one-year uh, associate head coach for Eric Musselman, he uh, is going to Oklahoma. So uh, two assistant coaches staying around this region, uh, probably not the best news considering they're currently all over these in-state Arkansas prospects. They've already offered uh, a couple of them, I've noticed, on Twitter, so that should be fun. But, ooh, what do you think of this week we're having? Yeah, I mean, it is extremely, extremely busy. I mean, I made the comment the other day that this – this offseason and last offseason, which was Eric Musselman's first offseason, have been the busiest offseason. I've, I've written more offseason content these two offseasons than I did the first seven years on the beat covering basketball. It has been incredibly busy. And, uh, I mean, you, you wrote a great piece this week on just the staff turnover that Eric Musselman's had throughout his career, you know, including at Nevada. And this isn't anything new to him. I mean, we saw with Chris Crutchfield last year, you know, he left to take a D2 head coaching job, uh, only lasted there for a year, and now he's at Oregon as an assistant coach. And um, you've got, you know, your Corey Williams at Texas Tech as an assistant coach, kind of a lateral move. Uh, you've got now David Patrick as an assistant in Oklahoma, lateral move. Uh, I think that you're going to keep seeing that. If, if history kind of proves uh, to be an indicator of what's to come, uh, and so we just kind of got to get used to it and uh, get ready to, to be covering coaching, uh, assistant coaching searches, which I will gladly take that over a head coaching search any day of the week. Yeah, it's um, once I started diving into it, I was just shocked because in first in Eric Mossman's first two years at Nevada, he wiped the slate clean of both of his staffs. He had to replace the first three and then the second group of three, all of them. I don't know how he did it, but he ended up finding guys that he trusted. Um, and yeah, there's been a lot of turnover, but he's continued to win throughout all of that. So that was the main point at the end of my little story because everyone's saying, oh, he can't hold on to these coaches. Um, like, it seems like they just don't want to work for him. Maybe he's hard to work for. I just think he demands an incredible amount and some of these coaches are thinking I can go pay, I can go get paid the same amount and not have to work quite as hard. I really think that's what it is um, because why wouldn't you? But at the same time, Eric Musselman is going to end up in more uh, postseason tournaments at the end of the day, I think. Exactly. And you know what? People just like to complain. I mean, this, this is a perfect example. So everyone's complaining about all the turnover that Eric Musselman's coaching staff has. Well, the previous coach, Mike Anderson, had very little coaching turnover. I mean, he had almost the same staff his entire tenure at Arkansas. And you know what? 
people complained about that. They, you know, they said that they needed to, to get new assistant coaches in here and, and mix things up and yada, yada, yada. Well, you know, you can't make some people happy. Uh, obviously, they're not perfect, situ like identical situations, uh, but I think it's not as big of a deal in, in basketball maybe as it is in, say, football. Uh, it's just it, – I, I don't know how – I mean, obviously, they're important in recruiting and, you know, building relationships with high school kids, which starts when they're, like, you know, in eighth, ninth grade these days. Uh, so if you're, you're only there for a year, how can you develop those relationships? Uh, but then again, if Arkansas is going to get to a point where it's making the Elite Eight on a regular basis and possibly further or getting to the Sweet 16 and stuff like that, uh, I don't think that's really going to matter. I think the recruits are going to be lining up at Arkansas's door uh, to come play for them. Yeah, recruiting becomes so much easier when you can show that you can win basketball games. And I think the biggest part, um, and we'll hear this from Gus, <laughs> we got Gus and Muss. We'll hear this from Gus in a minute, but the most important thing is being able to work with Eric Musselman and doing what he wants you to do, even without him having to ask. Uh, so that's the biggest thing. Clay Mosier has managed to do it now for two seasons. He is the one that has stuck around uh, since the original staff. I can't say three seasons yet, but it seems like he's hanging in there and uh, he knows what it's like to work at that pro level. He was with the Lakers for quite a while and he just knows the professional grind that it is um, that Eric Musselman operates with, which I think is more strenuous because of the amount of games that they play and the amount of pressure that's on them and the attention, not necessarily at the G league level, but just in general, it th it's harder work than than college yeah and i think a key point to remember in all this is, is gus arginal he he's worked with eric musselman before so he knows what he's getting in, himself into so maybe he's a guy that that doesn't get burned out by eric musselman because you know if you're if you're wanting to go somewhere where it's a little bit easier to work and you're not being hounded one you know 24 7 whatever uh you're probably not going to want to go back, back and work for that guy two years later uh, and so, I mean, I think Clay Mosier is a little bit of the same way because I'm pretty sure they work together in, in the G Leagues. And so he knows how Eric Musselman operates and he knew what he was signing up for. So maybe these guys that, that do kind of know how to, to work with them and how to handle the, the stress and the, the pressure of it, uh, you know, maybe they are guys that could be around for the long haul. And, and, you know, maybe if they can find a third one of those guys, maybe there will be less staff turnover. But who knows? I guess we'll have to wait and see how they decide to, to fill that, that vacancy left by David Patrick. Moss is just waiting long enough so that he can hire Michael. He just needs him to, <laughs> to add a few years of age to make it look more legit. Um, I think that, you know, when you look at it case by case, as I was doing to write that story, it's not all the same. You know, like there was one assistant coach who the year before had had some sexual harassment allegations. And so that like hadn't really gone away after a year at Nevada. So they moved on and then he became an entrepreneur and had like a multi-million dollar water company, like a lemon water company. Like it just like every case was very different and it wasn't all cookie cutter, but then it was really positive to see that Gus Arginal 
it's not like he didn't want to come with muscle men to Arkansas for the first staff. He was in line to potentially become the head coach at Nevada, or um, I read that he was uh, interviewing for Iowa State as well. So it wasn't about that. He said it was a timing issue, and now the timing is right. And it might be a little bit more right because Fullerton was struggling through a couple bad seasons while he was there. Uh, but overall, I think that it, it was very um, telling that he's willing and excited to work from us again. Yeah, I think that's, that's the biggest takeaway, in my opinion, of this hire. Because, I mean, it's, it's really hard to see the assistant coach's impact on – the team. I mean, even we asked him today, like, are you going to focus more offense, defense, whatever? And he's like, you know, I can do it all. I've focused on offense while I was at Fullerton and I focused on defense while I was at Nevada. And, you know, he's been a division two head coach before, so he's you know done everything. Uh, so it's, it's going to be really hard to kind of see his real impact. It's not like, you know, a tight ends coach and you can go like, Oh, well, look what these tight ends did. And that's obviously a great coach or, you know, Hey, look at the tight ends he recruited. Uh, so it's, it's a little bit different in basketball, uh, but the knowing that he has worked with Musselman before and is willing to work for him again, I think has to be an encouraging takeaway for Arkansas fans. There's this one vacancy, and we're not really sure who Mus might target. Based on his history, you could potentially guess that it might be someone that he has worked with before. I would guess uh, an African-American because – he doesn't have any black coaches on staff. And I think that's really rare uh, at this level these days. So uh, that probably um, narrows our search down a little bit. Um, but I'm not really concerned at this point. Eric Musselman has done such a good job of making sure that the Arkansas brand and his brand are so synonymous that the guys around him are just kind of moving pieces that you know, you just have to contain their egos and make sure that they know that. Exactly. And there's going to be plenty of candidates lining up at the door that are applying for it. You know, they may not know what they're getting into with, you know, how intense uh, Eric Musselman is, but he's going to have plenty of candidates because they want to come be a part of what Arkansas has got going. I mean, they just went to the Elite Eight. They have a bunch of really solid key players returning. They've got some big transfers coming in. And now they've got, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about it a little bit more in a second, but, you know, three open spots for more possible transfers. You know, this, this could be a really good team that's already being picked or put in, like, top five, top ten in some preseason polls uh, for the upcoming season. So there's going to be no shortage of coaches that, that want to come be a part of that. We talked about it. It just seems like a really seamless hire for the two of them, um, and it doesn't seem like they're going to skip a beat. They do have a big task now. They have three open scholarship spots due to the departure of Baby, Babe, Baby? Baby. Baby. See, if he had been playing, I would know that. <laughs> <laughs> Baby Iola, um, who was the Stetson transfer, you know, he came down uh, when Corey Williams did, but he had to sit out the first year and then he tore his ACL. Uh, in the preseason. So he only got on the court one time. Um, don't think he recorded a stat, maybe a rebound. To get a rebound. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I hate to see you go, baby, but, you know, it just it's hard to get attached because he didn't play. It didn't seem like he was going to play much. Um, I don't think the staff was 
fully believing in his development. So um, best to bring in someone who can play. And, you know, Musselman is going to do that, even if it's not someone who is, you know, going to be a star. Because at this point, there's, you know, a lot of guys that they got to spread minutes around to. Um, and the second departure, I guess, wasn't even a rival, though. Uh, Ecole Mawain, the uh, Navarro Juco big man, uh, he is no longer uh, locked into his NLI that he signed. Uh, he was David Patrick's uh, recruit. So with David Patrick's departure, I mean, maybe Mawain heads that way as well. Um, but either way, not coming to Arkansas. And I know for a fact uh, you know, that one was a, a contentious recruit. Not everyone was super sold on him. So, um, you know, based on that, I just not sure he was going to contribute right away. Uh, and so they'll, they'll try to go look for someone who will in uh, this coming season. I'm anxious to see if he does follow David Patrick to Oklahoma because David Patrick recruited him like when he was in high school and then Patrick was at like LSU then he recruited him when Patrick was at TCU. Then he recruited him whenever he was UC Riverside as the head coach. Then he recruited him at Arkansas. Uh, so, I mean, it, it seems like they're kind of a package deal wherever he goes. So it'll, it, we should hopefully get kind of a, an actual look at what kind of player Arkansas missed out on. You know, it's not like he's going to go down. Uh, well, if he does go to Oklahoma, it wouldn't be like he's going down a level and dominating at a lower level. We're going to see what he could do in the Big 12 if that's where he ends up, because uh, that, that's always interesting to see how those kind of guys, you know, perform down the line. Lately, there haven't been a whole lot of guys who have left and you're like, oh, dang it. Wish you would have stuck around. Yeah, it really, I'm trying to like rack my brain to see if there's anybody that, that has left and had a ton of success. I and mean, I think Reggie Chaney had some decent success at Houston you know, help them make it to the final four this year. Gabe Osavoyan, like Gabe, West Virginia yes. fans were very impressed by they him. They love him. I mean, they absolutely love him because I mean, they kind of play that style of, of Huggins uh, that he likes to do. I mean, he, he doesn't, Arkansas fans hated him because he couldn't shoot worth a darn and he thought he was Steph Curry. So there are three more spots. I'd love to tell you all about who we think might fill those spots, but alas, I have to get some kind of hook into you guys to subscribe to hogbeat.com and our guy, Jackson Collier. I mean, he puts a lot of work into finding out who the Razorbacks are targeting. Uh, so come check out our transfer portal, big board. Um, like I said, you can get three months for just five bucks with code HB three, four, five, um, and that deal runs until the ninth, um, but don't wait. Just go ahead and do it, or you might forget, and then you'll have to pay full price. <laughs> so uh, use code HB345. Good luck versus Georgia this weekend, everybody. Go Hogs. Have a great weekend.